your Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is your Tuesday edition of the Locked On NHL Podcast. Joe DiBiase from Locked On Sabres, Mike DiStefano from Locked On Leafs. Mike, I'm guessing you're the only person on the network that's experienced the insane amount of snow We've seen worse, but a huge amount of snow that we've had here. Like, my morning was completely filled with just, like, I'm not even kidding. My whole morning was just shoveling. Yeah, no, I uh, I live along the same uh, the same snow belt pretty well as you do. We're, we're not too far from each other with Niagara Falls and Buffalo being pretty close in proxy. Are you Buffalo proper, or are you just on the outside somewhere? Just north, actually, so I'm even closer to you than, than the city. Yeah, so yeah. so we we both are experiencing pretty much the same. Uh, got like up well over a foot of snow, and uh, luckily for me though, my uncle uh, has a plow, so he kind of came by all right in the morning for me. I had to dig out the car and and uh, and pull the cars out of the driveway for him to to plow everything. But yeah. luckily, I wasn't out there for a couple hours breaking my back. I was on the weekend though, because it, it didn't just come today. It was there, kind of. It's it's been snowing for the last little bit, but over the the overnight, mm-hmm. boy, was there ever a snowfall in kind of the the <laughs> eerie Buffalo, Niagara, Hamilton areas? Yeah, I shouldn't, by the way, say that we were the only ones on the network that would have experienced that because, duh, Dallas is in Texas has gone through this insane winter storm oh, yeah. that well, had a, their game postponed. I think I saw who uh, was it Sarah Avampato, I believe, who yeah. lives in California, also had some snow. So, hey man, it seems like uh, this year the the <laughs> much like the pandemic, the weather don't really give a crap about your feelings. They're just gonna come and plow you with a bunch of snow. So, it yeah. is what it is. That's right. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of, to get to today on the East division. We're going to be focusing a lot on the East division, kind of breaking it down top to bottom. Um, so we'll do that. We're going to get to a quick thing on the North division that Mike wants to get to here. And it kind of relates to what we did on our last episode where we kind of both, I think decided that the North is becoming very clear and it's tiered, but maybe that is already starting to change about a week after we had that conversation. But first, 25 years. Do you know what the, the today the anniversary is? 25 years, and it's hockey-related. Do you know what I'm talking I about? sure do. All right, I good. completely do. Am I supposed to spoil the party right now? Go, or you go for play? it. Yeah. Oh, uh, today is the 25-year anniversary of Happy Gilmore. Yes. Which is my it was maybe i don't know if i would i would not still actually i know i would not still call it my favorite movie but it was my favorite movie growing up and i it's one of those movies that i think you just watch over and over and over and over and over and over and over again and never got sick of it rewatchability it has like incredible rewatchability like i could watch that movie you know once a month honestly i can Um, say most of the 90s adam sandler films like yes. you got that one big daddy was a, a favorite of mine as well billy madison i loved billy madison but happy gilmore definitely takes the cake uh as one of the greatest one. comedies of all time would you consider it number one of like that era of sandler movies i big daddy was one honestly big daddy for me is number one i, I mm-hmm. think that movie's just hilarious talk about watchability i i must have watched that film well over 200 times. I'm not even exaggerating. Like I, I've watched that thing a lot. Anytime it was on TV, I had it on. I had the the uh, 
what are they called back in the day? They weren't uh, DVDs before DVDs. Uh, VHS, VHS. Yes, thank you. I had the VHS. I used to pop it on and and watch that all the time. I, I, however, was a very young child. Probably shouldn't have been watching it, but I mean, (laughs) I I did. So, and and as a young kid, it's funny too. You ever go back and watch movies that you saw when you were younger, and you you didn't quite understand some of the hilarity of some of the topics or some of the things that happened, and then you get older and you kind of understand some of the kind of sexual innuendos and nuances of of the jokes that you just can't stop howling and it it just becomes that much better of a movie all the years <laughs> later i i experienced that a lot with like sitcoms but definitely with movies as well like it's like oh whoa i do not remember that part or i don't yeah. remember like that like that being what i thought it was <laughs> when i was a kid watching it right, so right. yeah 25 years since happy gilmore uh came out and are we are we okay to call it a hockey movie by the way, are we okay to call it a hockey movie? I don't think actually. Maybe you can't call it a hockey movie. It's more. Well, it really is more of a golf movie, obviously. Oh, it's a hundred percent a golf movie. But I mean, the whole premise is around him uh, wanting to to be a professional hockey player, and he just played golf in the meantime because he yeah. had to when he had to just get some money in between trying out for whatever pro team he was trying out for. That was just yep. his off season. Spent the off season making money in golf, but his true passion was always hockey. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a great movie. I, if you haven't seen it, I, I can't believe anyone listening to our podcast wouldn't have seen it. But if you if anyone's out there that hasn't, you better go watch it. Shooter McGavin, one of the all-time movie villains. Just <laughs> un- unbelievable. Um, all right. So they had some fun on social media, Adam Sandler and uh, Shooter McGavin. I don't even know what his real actor name is. But they were going back and forth on Twitter a little bit. Um, all right. But let's get to some serious stuff. We'll get to the East Division in just a second. Let's start, though, with the North Division. Because, again, last week... We thought it looked pretty clear. Ottawa at the bottom. You had Toronto and Montreal at the top, and then everybody else in between. But I think a week later, like you hinted at this before we even started recording, that it's getting a little murky again. I would still consider Ottawa to be clear-cut the last place team in this division, even though they've won a couple games in a row. But I think that's they're they're not going to be anywhere higher than seventh, in my opinion. But everything else, especially like... Winnipeg coming on as of late, you were on to them. I'm not going to give you too much credit yet because it's only been a week, but you were on to them as like, hey, don't discount their chances of either coming in second or first in this division because if they can overcome that blue line with how great their forwards are and how great Connor Hellebuck is, then they've got the talent to do it. Um, And Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver have all been okay in the last week or two as well. So what's your take on the division as a whole as it stands today? Yeah, I think it's a lot closer. Uh, you know, at, last week or two weeks ago when we were discussing the North Division, I said, yeah, it seems like it's starting to kind of tear off, which is unfortunate because we had thought going in that it was going to be a super competitive division and we were going to get a lot of really close games, some good hockey the rest the whole way. And then the first month or so of the season, it was like, ah, man, it just, you know, it's Toronto, Montreal, and then the rest really aren't playing too well. And it's just, they're just beating up on these other teams. And it's really starting to, to you know, become really evident who the good teams were and who the bad teams were. But now, you know, we're into now we're roughly 15, 16 games into the year. It's kind of starting to become as competitive as we had hoped. I think, you know, Toronto um, isn't quite mopping the floor with teams like they were in the past. Montreal has fallen back down. They're only six and four in the last 10, two and 
three in their last five with losses to Edmonton, losses to Ottawa, losses to Montreal. Like there's a lot of, of these teams who are kind of winning against each other, but also losing against each other. And at this point, it's it's really bunching up in the standings. I mean, between the Winnipeg Jets, Edmonton Oilers, Calgary Flames, Vancouver Canucks, there's only four points between those four teams. And that's that's not a lot. And you want to include Montreal. That's five points between five teams through the second and sixth position in this division. It's it's really good to see the parity kind of coming back and anybody can really win on any given night uh, here in this division, which, again, we always thought that would be the case. The first couple of weeks, that wasn't the case. You know, we saw Toronto and Montreal just kind of running away with things, but it's 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 gotten a lot more competitive since, and it's been a lot better better for, for hockey. to. It's been better hockey to watch. Mm-hmm. I think Vancouver might be the one team I would want to maybe separate from those other teams still, because if you look at their point percentage, and part of that is, of course, they've played more games than everybody. They're at 19, Calgary and Winnipeg and Montreal are at 15, and Edmonton is at 17. Uh, if you look at point percentage, Vancouver is under uh, 40%. And Calgary's at 56, Edmonton's at 53, Winnipeg's at 63. So I'm not saying they are dead by any means, but I think they are clearly sixth at this point. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I I grew up a Canucks fan, so I still watch a lot of Vancouver games. And and I look at just the last four games. Okay, they only have one win in their last four games, but they could have won each and every one of them. So instead of a 7-11-1 record, they easily could be 10-10-1. You know, or, or 10, mm-hmm. uh, 10 and 11 or 11, 11, whatever the, the record yeah, end up being because they got that one overtime loss last night. So I guess that would be uh, 11, 10 and 11 or whatever they would end up being. But regardless, they played well, like they're they're in games. They're starting to kind of pick it up after a slow start. The issue is the goaltending. And, and, and it seems like this team's a little bit Jekyll and Hyde because they can go out and, and put together a good product. I mean, they should have beat. Toronto last week uh, twice, I thought, especially that final game. But Freddie Anderson stood on his head and ended up uh, making many big saves and Toronto won in the third period. The same thing kind of happened with Calgary uh, a couple of nights ago. So I I think that Vancouver, if you're just looking at the stats and you're looking at the win column, yeah, they look like they could be falling a little bit uh, further behind, but they're, they're in games. They are competing with Calgary. They're competing with Edmonton, with Winnipeg, with Montreal. They competed with the Maple Leafs for, for Pete's sake. Um, not Montreal. They've gotten their asses handed to them whenever they play <laughs> Montreal. And that's pretty much just because Tyler Toffoli just goes full demon mode and, and haunts Vancouver's dreams. But every other team in the division, Vancouver has at least put up a good fight against over the last couple of weeks, despite taking a lot of L's. Last thing on this division, actually on them, because I think the Canucks are the team I've seen the least of uh, this this season so far of that division. Ottawa is probably the least, actually. Never mind. Vancouver would probably be second, though, to that. Um, what is the issue there? Like with, they've allowed the most goals in the league and really by a lot, like, what is the issue? Is it the blue line or is it Demko and Holpe? Because the numbers for Demko and Holpe aren't good, but that doesn't have to mean that it's all their fault. You sometimes in the league. Yeah, it's, it's an overall team game. Like defensively, they're breaking down a lot, uh, whether it's at the blue line, giving away pucks and giving up a lot of odd man rushes, um, there, I think I saw Demko is giving up the third most high danger chances in the entire league. So he's having to face a lot of rubber and a lot of 
high grade chances at that. And, you know, when, you, when you're facing so much high grade chances, uh, I mean, most of those goals are going to end up going in or a lot of those goals will end up going in. So that's kind of been the issue there. They're giving up way too many grade A chances in Vancouver because of a, a just a, a lapse in defensive play. Uh, guys like JT Miller hasn't been playing very well this year. He seems to be a little lackadaisical after a career year last season where he really broke out. Elias Pettersson's been struggling offensively. Bo Horvat, I don't think, uh, up until the other night, hadn't scored in, in five games. So I think it's really just a combination of the entire team going into a funk all at once, coupled with the fact that you know, they're just not buying in and they're not getting saves either. So it's really just a full team effort for the nights where they're off, they're off. But the nights that they're on, they they're on. It's it's Jekyll and Hyde with that team. Gotcha. All right. Well, when we come back, we will move on to the East Division, especially the Islanders and the Capitals. Uh, we'll focus on at the first part of that um, when we go over the East Division. When we come back here on the Lockdown NHL podcast, Joe DiBiase and Mike DiStefano. Built Bar is back and improved with all new packaging and the bars. I didn't think they could taste any more like a candy bar, but our friends at Built Bar somehow figured out a way to add to their 12 permanent flavors, coconut almond, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, orange toffee almond, coconut, and my personal favorite, peanut butter brownie, are now six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake and apple almond crisp in addition to tasting amazing they are great for the healthy conscious guy or gal under 200 calories low sugar high protein and high fiber do not eat one more protein bar until you try built bar go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on you'll get 20 percent off your next order use the promo code locked on at builtbar.com Are we ready for some football and are we ready for some hockey? There is only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Futures, I'm looking at MVP futures, Jack Eichel, plus 3,000 for the heart. Pretty good. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked On NHL podcast. Joe DiBiase from Locked On Sabres at Sneaky Joe Sports on Twitter. Mike DiStefano at uh, at Mickey underscore Canuck from Locked On Leafs. Betting on the NHL doesn't have to be a guessing game, by the way. If you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers. Subscribe to Locked On Bets, brought to you by betonline.ag. I've, by the way, speaking of betonline.ag, I have found like a little trick uh, in the last week or two. And it is just get just pick the Islanders under <laughs> whatever the goal total is for the Islanders game. Take the under because I'm four and oh doing that so far. That's a really good trick. The also uh, another trick. This is what I realized that they have at bet online AG, which is actually a, a feature that I like about them that wasn't being used on the, the previous betting site that I used before I dropped on to, to mm-hmm. bet online when they became a, a sponsor with us is the fact that you can actually bet how many total goals a team scores that night. So you take the under 
in the Islanders for how many goals they're about to score that night. So I think the Buffalo tonight, the under was two and a half. I said yeah. to myself, that's going to be easy money. Thank you, <laughs> please. Hammered it. And what happened? Ilya Sorokin shutting out the Buffalo Sabres. I know that's your team, Joe. But before you know, you, you start to cry here after having <laughs> witnessed that. Um, I want to know what you think about the Islanders because, and kind of more so, Ilya Sorokin, how he played yep. you know, tonight against uh, your Sabers. But the Islanders are a funny team. We talk about the the Canucks kind of being Jekyll and Hyde. You know, the Islanders, you kind of know what you're going to get with them. It's kind of the complete opposite. But it's funny because this is a team that each and every year I find, at least over the last, I don't know, maybe three years, I've always assumed that they're just going to fall off. And they don't, man. They just keep coming at it, and they keep playing extremely well, and they keep winning games. Last year made it all the way to the conference finals. You know, what are you seeing out of them so far this season? And I guess what you see last night or tonight, rather, uh, yeah. against the Islanders when they dusted your Buffalo Sabres three nothing. I've been I've been with you really for the last couple of years. Like I'm always waiting for it for it to crash and burn because just on paper, like the offensive talent really is not there compared to a lot of other great teams in the league. But I, I made this point comparing them actually to the Sabers on lockdown Sabers after the game was that. Like the Sabres right now don't really have an identity. Like no one can figure out what they're trying to be great at. We don't know. They're, they're definitely not trying to win with great goaltending. They don't really play a lockdown defensive game. They don't open the floodgates and try to outscore people. And here's the Islanders on the other side. It's like, you know what? They've got an identity. They stick to it and they do it great. And even though it's not the identity that I necessarily enjoy watching or think is the most e- easily achieved in the NHL is playing that style of play where you're just making sure you're in the shot lanes and you're just limiting quality scoring chances from the other opponent as good as possible. And you're just capitalizing on your scoring chances when you get them and you might not get 30 shots in a game, but you will win two to one. Like that doesn't always work. And I think a lot of teams that don't have talent, try to do it and then really crash and burn. But you can't say that it's going to happen with this team anymore because part of that opportunistic offensive style that they play, like they do have, they got the runners to be able to pull it off. And that's what I saw from them this game. It's like two games in a row. John Gabriel Pajot really was kind of non-existent. And then just boom, there's that one play where he flies down the wing and he just rips it top corner. And like, that's your ball game. Like Pajot is just one player that does that. Anders Lee gives you moments like that. Brock Nelson, so I, I'm starting to appreciate their offensive players more and more. You mentioned Sorokin, though. Varlamov's been a great story this year. Var, Semyon Varlamov's been their number one. He's been incredible. I think he's probably been one of the better goal, starting goalies in the league. The numbers would tell you that. And what I've watched from him this year, like he looks dialed in. Sorokin was always like the wild card coming in. He was so good in the KHL, so highly thought of by prospect guys in the league. And he didn't have a great, he actually had a pretty bad first two games in the league. He got lit up. He got lit up, but his team also didn't score on the flip side. So I guess it wasn't a hundred percent his fault, but he didn't look good this game though. Like you saw all like, he's got raw ability, like side to side movement. He was never out on a save. Like Taylor Hall at one point found Sam Reinhardt wide open back door. And like, it's a gimme goal. And, Reinhardt like didn't do anything wrong on this play. Like he one timed it and he lifted the puck and 99 times out of a hundred in the NHL, that goal is going in. But Sorokin just the side to side movement was lightning fast. 
Like it really was incredible how quick he got over there and made an one of just an incredible save. So I don't I don't know. I don't know if that's going to sustain with him over the course of an entire season, at least as as a rookie, but you saw in that one play and on several occasions against the Sabres, like if they unlock the potential that's in there, like they could have a top five goalie in the league. And, and, you know, we saw a kid come over last year coming from Russia and Mm -hmm. kind of uh, played a little bit in the minors, the AHL, and then went right to the NHL in in, uh, Igor Shosturkin, you know, the other New York team. And he had a great start to his, to his, career in the nhl a little bit of a slower start this season but that's just i think the rangers as a whole are kind of uh flopping around right now but you know sorokin trying to do the same thing coming over from russia and getting an opportunity early to impress with the with the big club and and he's i guess doing that uh first couple of games like you said didn't really play well and i think he he either got injured or he was one of the guys who got hit with the covid bug because it was his first game yeah, so but this was his first game coming back from it and uh I mean it's seemingly impressed. The funny part is is usually when you think about these Russian goaltenders, usually like big six foot four, six <laughs> foot five, you know, two hundred pound goalies, Sorokin's not that. You know, I'm looking right now, six two, buck seventy buck seventy six. So he's not even like he he's like that a massive goaltender in between the pipes. And like you said, it, it seems like he's a guy who just relies on being agile, reads the play, and mm. his small stature allows him to move around in the crease um side to side really well. And those are the fun goalies to watch. Like though that's what those are the guys that give you acrobatic saves. Though those are the guys that could become fan favorites. So we'll see yeah, how his that. season progresses. I hate him. What's that? Is it Tim Thomas? As much as I hate him as yeah. a as a player and as a person, he was kind of fun <laughs> to, to watch. I couldn't have said that better myself on Tim Thomas there. Um, <laughs> uh, so what do we think of this division now? Because the Islanders are looking good. They've won three in a row now. They've got both of their goaltenders looking good. They're scoring a little bit. They're in second place with 19 points. Boston is kind of clear-cut been the best team, at least as of late, winning eight of their last 10. Since Pasternak returned, like they're just they're putting pucks in the back of the net on a consistent basis. Unlike they were not doing that at the beginning of the year, but they're, they're hitting their stride right now. So Boston Islanders, Philly are the top three teams more and more. I'm starting to think, and it's, you could just even say this just by looking at the standings, but I really do think this could come down to Washington and Pittsburgh for that final playoff spot. And right now I would almost certainly pick Washington to come out ahead of Pittsburgh. I've been very critical of the penguins so far, but my overall point is not about Pittsburgh. It's I think the Capitals are a little bit vulnerable and it's nothing really about their skaters. It's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I could trust them in that. Like Vitek Vinicek has been maybe better than expected having to play as many games as he has, but he hasn't been that good. And Ilya what Samsonov, I- you would expect to take the reins as the number one at some point here, once he returns uh, from the COVID list. but. He's played limited action. Like there, there's no, there's no baseline to me yet with them of what they are going to get in net. You know? Yeah. No. Like I, I see where you're coming from there, but I think what you just mentioned is important to note, and the fact that 
it's Vitek Vanacek right now, who's their number one goalie, and he's not their number one goalie. It's Ilya Samsonov. He's the guy who pushed out Braden Holpe, a former Vesna winner, a Stanley Cup winner with the Washington Capitals, completely pushed him out of the way and said, hey, I'm taking over the number one starting job here. Peace out. Go to Vancouver. And, you know, played two games and then got hit with the COVID bug and hasn't been able to play since. So I, when I look at Washington, they're not a complete team because they don't have their starting goaltender. And you also think about those games that they were missing. Like they, they didn't have their best player in Alex Ovechkin. They didn't have Kuznetsov. They didn't have, um, who's the other couple of Russians? Dmitry Orlov. Yeah. Right. They were missing some significant pieces to that team. And it's not just those four games that they missed uh, due to kind of COVID protocols. It's maybe taking them a little bit to even mm-hmm. get going again, right? Like they were off the ice, kind of hunkered down for a little bit. Uh, and you think especially with Samsonov, like when he comes back, he hasn't played hockey in how long? So it might take him a couple of games to get it going too. But when all said and done, I think that this is a team that ultimately can go on a big run because I think you look at their roster and they're they're really, really deep. This is a solid, talented team. They're well-built down the middle. They're well-built along the wings. They've got some good defense. And if Samsonov comes back and plays at the same level he played last season, I think that this is a team that can certainly hang with the big dogs here in this East Division, the Mass Mutual East Division, that is. Uh, and, and they're not so much a team that I'm I'm overly worried about like you are. Uh, Pittsburgh, however, I'm not so confident that Pittsburgh's going to be turning their season around like they envisioned when they brought in, uh, you know, new management. And uh, did we even talk about that last week? I think that happened I, after yeah. we had spoke. It so happened the day of. It happened like a couple hours after we had recorded. Um, so yeah, like let's let's get into that because it has been a week, but. You know, this is the one of the divisions we cover, and it's maybe the biggest news off the ice that has happened in this division uh, so far this season. With Jim Rutherford stepping down, now it's Ron Hextall, who I think we all saw that coming. Like, once we saw Jason Bottrell's not in the, the race, and Chris Drury says no, and it's like, oh, Kevin Weeks is getting an interview. Like, who who's going to end up getting this job? Like, Hextall kind of became a leading candidate. Yeah, um, yeah. Kevin Person Jr. Had, a, had an interview as well, which I thought yep. was interesting. But yes. uh, yeah, I but agree like, with you. Obviously, Brian Burke. Like what? <laughs> like yeah, Brian that, Burke got a job? That was the jaw drop there. And and I don't know how much Sportsnet you watch down in the States, but obviously that's one of our main sports networks here. So we've been able to watch Brian Burke on Hockey Night in Canada uh, for the better part of, of two years now. And I fully expected that was him, that post-career Brian Burke uh, as a media guy. And I thought that he was done with the NHL. And then to hear that randomly, uh, he is actually going to be joining the Pittsburgh Penguins as the president of hockey operations came out of nowhere. And the funniest part is that like nobody knew, not even the top, one of the top insiders that is really close to him works right next to him every Saturday night in Elliot Friedman. And he had no idea until it was already too late. And it was announced that he was going to be going to Pittsburgh. That's how quiet and under wraps that this news was. Yeah. I don't think it's really going to work out for them. Like I just, I, I, I don't know what they actually, you know what? I'll, I'll bring this up. Because Tom Gazzola and I were going over this on Friday. We were going back and forth on this. Where does the fix come from? Because a couple of years ago, they were able to trade some prospects, trade some picks. They brought in Phil Kessel. They made a couple of other moves, and they were able to build a Stanley Cup winner. 
where does that fix come this go round? Because they don't have draft capital. In fact, this this draft coming up, they've only got three picks. They have a second, a fifth, and a seventh. That's it. Um, and they are consistently ranked either dead last or right near the bottom when it comes to prospect pool. And I thought this was a little interesting. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hyperanalyze it too much, but I am going to mention it that when Hextall got the question about Mal- trading Evgeny Malkin in his opening press conference, he could have been stronger about it. He could have come right out and said, no, Evgeny Malkin is a generational player. He is one of the best players in franchise history. We are not moving him. He very well could have come out and said that. And instead, he gave the the old executive tagline of, listen, we're going to look at anything that could make us better as a hockey club, like one of those. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to read too much into it, but I do think there's some logical sense to it because, again, I just mentioned, where are they going to find this this scoring depth around Sidney Crosby? And where are they going to find this blue line around Crystal Tang? How are they going to fix the goaltending if they feel like they need to do that? They don't have a lot of pieces to do it. And I don't know. If Gunny Mulkin is still playing at a high enough level where if you felt like this is one way to do it, you could get four or five pieces maybe, three pieces at least, to be able to help you out. I've listened to a couple of interviews that Brian Burke did since taking the job. And, you know, when that question is posed to him as well as the president of hockey ops, a, he says at the end of the day, you know, Hextall is the general manager. He's going to be making the, the hockey decisions, but there are obviously going to be on the same page when it comes to the direction they want to bring the team in. And when posed, well, what does that mean for the Malkins, the Crosby's and uh, the the Chris Letangs of, of Pittsburgh, are they safe? Or is that something that may kind of come into question at some point? And what he said was, we're going to take the season to see where we're at and what we can do. I believe that they're not going to be happy with what's going to transpire for the rest of the year because they made the very, very bad decision to roll with Tristan Jari as their number one goaltender for uh, the 2020-2021 season. So I don't think that they're going to do much of anything. And 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 outside of Crosby and Malkin, they're uh, you know they 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 just uh, actually I shouldn't say that they are pretty deep, but their defensive depth isn't quite there. Like like it really hasn't been for a long time, and they just can't stop a puck. At the end of the day, that's the biggest hurdle is stopping pucks for this yep. team. They've got 50 goals against, and for as good as their offense is, Crosby, Malkin, Brian Russ, Jake Gensel, um, Jason Zucker, yep. they spent a first-round pick for whatever reason it was to bring in Kasperi Kapanen. <laughs> but all of those guys, Chris Letang on the back end, uh, John Marino also a pretty good player, second-year guy on the back end. Despite all of those offensive pieces and talents and weapons, they're still a minus-six goals against differential. Yeah. That's why the Pittsburgh Penguins will not have success this season. And why I think at the end of the day, you ask, do you think that this team's going to blow it up? Yeah, I think they're going to have to. Whether that means Sidney Crosby, I think it's going to be up to Crosby. If he wants to stay in Pittsburgh and be a lifer, he has full the full right to do that. I don't think mm-hmm. Brian Burke would ever approach him and ask him to wave. I don't think anything would happen. He's going to say, hey, do you want to stay? If he says yes, then I think he'll stay. If he says, mm, I don't know, I kind of want to win another cup, he'll be gone. Like he basically yeah. controls his destiny there. Malkin. Well, here's the thing. He controls his destiny. I think Malkin, if they get a good enough offer, they're going to go to him and ask him, except he's probably has a, a no trade. I would assume he has, right? he has a full no movement clause. So right. he has to, he could, he has to sign off on anything. Yes. He uh, will have to say, but if, if this team, regardless what Crosby does, 
they're going to probably end up going into a rebuild. Like, I don't see this team winning a Stanley yeah. Cup as is. And like you said, there's nothing they can do to improve this club without moving one of the big boys. Right. I see. That's why Latang and Malkin are the ones I really think about for this. I don't really think Crosby goes anywhere. You know, no. like I, I don't think they let him go anywhere. And I don't think he is the type of guy that one would he want, even want to leave Pittsburgh. And two, if he did, I'm not sure he would really press for it. So the fact that he's under contract for five more years and last year is the final year of Malkin and Latang's deal. Malkin going to be 35 years old. Latang going to be 34 years old. I think if I'm Pittsburgh, they don't have to do a full rebuild. In fact, I don't think they would because some of these other like depth pieces you mentioned, like that they have around Crosby still, Gensel, Zucker, Kapanen, like those guys are in their mid twenties. Like they are ready to win right now. If I'm them, I try almost like I hate this tagline because everyone uses it, but like reload. Like I might try to move Malkin and Latang picturing that I don't want to re-sign them to big contract extensions once they're 36 and 35. And I just see what's the most I can get for those two players build around Sidney Crosby for one last four or five year, you know, run it, run at the Stanley cup. If I think I could get enough for those two. But Joe, the reload has happened for a couple of years now in a row. And it's, it's only actually hurt this team. Right. They reloaded. They thought bringing in Jason Zucker. Okay. That was going to help. They gave up big pieces. Nothing has worked. They went out and they picked up Kaspari Kapanen, thinking that he might be able to give this offense a boost and kind of help the top six. That also hasn't worked. And now they're out of prospect capital. They've spent the past couple of seasons reloading since winning back to back. You know, they moved on from Phil Kessel to try and reload a little bit, pick up some flexibility. They thought maybe a guy like Kalchenyuk would be able to do something. Clearly, that didn't work. (laughs) out uh, and, and they picked up uh, like a defensive prospect too who hasn't turned out to be much of anything either so that hasn't worked out either so they've made deals to try and reload and 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 get this team going again and I think they've gotten to a point where kind of the the bill needs to be paid and and at this point there's just nothing else to to help yeah this, unless you move the big boys I think I think my my difference between what they've done and what I would do if I were them is all those guys, except for that the defensive prospect that they brought in, like all of those moves, I feel like they're bringing in veteran guys, like even Zucker, like 28 years right. old, like that Kessel when they brought him in a couple years ago. Like if I'm them, I might be okay trading Malkin and Latang for guys that have not played in the NHL. You know, like trading them for someone's best prospect and a first round pick. Like if I'm them, again, I think I've got four, five, it, the level of play Crosby plays at. I think he's the type of guy that will be playing at a high level into his late thirties. So if I'm thinking that way that I've got five, six years, maybe I I'm thinking if I'm grabbing someone's best prospect, he might be here in a year or two. And then he's in his prime in three years, four years. Like that might be the way I'm thinking. So maybe reloads, not the right word. Maybe just like quick rebuild. Something yeah. like that, because I would be looking for younger pieces if I were that. Yeah, it's I guess we're coming down to semantics, which is what do we consider a rebuild and a reload? I think yeah. at the end of the day, neither of us think that there's anything that this team could do in the next, let's say, two year window to yes. be competitive. Me too. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Like, I do not think they're I do not see them winning a Stanley Cup in the next two years. No, like it's, I don't see that. Um, all right. Well, we settled that on Pittsburgh and we'll monitor how they do uh, throughout the rest of the season. Maybe they'll even be a seller by deadline time. We'll see how the next month or two go. I don't yeah. think they've ever been a seller. Like I can remember. 
Um, <laughs> going back, I mean, you'd have to go before the 0405 lockout for that. So, all right. So, well, the East Division will keep tabs on as well. And be sure. one, one last thing. One go last ahead. thing. There's no running out of time here. Yeah, shoot. I, I, I owe the Boston Bruins an apology. I certainly do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that they were going to take a step back this year. I thought they were going to be a team that potentially misses out on the playoffs. And boy, was I wrong. I was so, so wrong. This team still is playing at, at, at an elite high level of hockey. Not only are they leading it in, in the East, but if I'm not mistaken, they actually lead the entire NHL in points percentage at that. So mm-hmm. I, I just want to come out right now and just say, Boston, and, and you Bruins fans, I apologize. I had you all wrong. I thought that, you know, Marshawn, Bergeron, Krejci, all those guys, they were getting up in age, thought they were going to take a dip. Sedano Chara leaving the team, thought maybe that would do something to to uh, the, the mm. leadership core and, you know, take something away. Also lost Tory Krug. But, boy, they just have guys who are filling in. You've got Charlie McAvoy playing like like a Norris-caliber-level defenseman right now. You know, uh, you got other players who are stepping in and playing well. The goaltending, obviously, the tandem of Tuka Rask and Yara Halak just replicating what they've done the last couple of seasons. And Boston playing really well. So I, I, I apologize to the Bruins fans out there that <laughs> they've got a little, a little charge when I said that they may miss out on the playoffs and take a step back. They certainly have not to this point in the year. You you owe actually another apology. You know who you you owe also an apology to? Oh you, no. You owe an apology to Ranger fans by getting them excited for the season. <laughs> oh man. We'll see. Yeah. They're not dead, but man, they do not look good to me. <laughs> oh god, yeah, they've been an issue, man. Like they they're not getting any contributions from Mika Zibanejad. That's that's bad. That's somebody who scored 40 goals last year and was on pace to, to like shatter records it seems like he was scoring goals at will last season he's doing nothing absolutely nothing uh lafreniere hasn't done anything he's got just one goal uh was that the ot winner against buffalo actually it that, was, that's yeah. it that's it that's all from him so far um and Capo the- Caco, man like no Caco. step forward at all from nothing from him outside, honestly, I think Pavel Bushnevich is playing decently well and Artemi Panarin is getting his points. But outside of those two, the, the whole team has just been, uh, they've been bad. And, you know, it's funny. I actually talked about this on, um, on my hockey card investing podcast. I think maybe a changing coach might be coming here for the Rangers because, well, you, you talk about how if you want to get Lafreniere going, uh, I, I likened it to Steven Stamkos and how poor he started off his career. Just one goal, or he didn't score until his ninth game and had just four goals for the first 41 games of the season. They made a goalie swap, though, in between them, even before the 41 goal point, and he really took took off after that and finished the season off with 23 goals. Played a lot better under Guy Boucher. So I wonder if David Quinn's on the hot seat here just because his team is playing so, so poorly to start the year. Maybe that's something maybe we could touch on next week is like, who's yeah. the first coach who's, who's most likely to get fired first for these head coaches around the league that are struggling. Um, so we'll do some of that next week. Uh, feel free to check us out on social media at sneaky Joe sports at Mickey underscore Canuck. We will talk to you next Tuesday here on the lockdown NHL podcast, part of the lockdown podcast network.